This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Ghosting is a term that usually applies to romantic relationships. It's when a person suddenly ends all contact with someone else without an explanation. A recent report by the Federal Reserve Bank in Chicago, though, said that this dating trend is now happening more and more in the workplace. In our current job market with low unemployment and lots of demand for talent, some applicants as well as new and seasoned employees are opting to simply not show up as they're as opposed to communicating that they're no longer interested in the position or are leaving their company. Some companies are now reportedly considering two candidates for certain positions in case one disappears. So what else can employers do to assure that they have the right staffing? And is there a downside for workers who ghost? Joining me in studio, Peter Capelli, management professor here at the Wharton School and also director of the Center for Human Resources. And also uh, joining us on the phone right now is uh, Jay Finkelman, who is a professor and chair of industrial organizational the psychology and business at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology in Southern California. Peter, great to see you as always. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Jay, great to have you with us today. Pleasure to be with you as well. Thank you. Thank you. So, Peter, how prevalent do you think this actually is in 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 our business culture right now? Uh, well, funny you should say that, Dan, because I'm just looking at a survey that was done by the company Clutch.com, which is in the business of recruiting, and they say that about half of employees or workers say that they have ghosted an application at some point or another. Um, but I think, uh, you know, what's really interesting about this, of course, is that um, it's the employers who, of course, have been doing this forever. Sure, yeah. Right. And um, this is, you know, if you haven't uh, applied for a job in recent years, I, I think you'd be surprised to discover that most people who apply for jobs expect they're never going to hear anything back from the employer. Right. So the expectation is that the employers are ghosting you. Um, what's different now is that the employees are starting to do the same thing to the employers. It's not a big surprise, but, you know, frankly, in this uh, period in time, anything that happens to employers makes noise and news. Yeah. Anything that happens to employees doesn't necessarily make news, right? So... Uh, this is a two-sided problem. It started by the employers. We could talk about why. Uh, it is pretty common now on the employee side, but we might think a little bit about what we actually mean by that because so many job applications now, like most all of them, yeah. are done online. Sure. And it's yeah. just like uh, being on Amazon and you just leave something in your cart. You start the thing and you don't finish it. Um, does that count as ghosting? Well, probably does. You started the application, you never finished it, you never followed up when the a application pings you and says, where are you on this? So is that ghosting? Or is ghosting meaning you're not answering a phone call? So I think the evidence, the numbers are referring to any kind of ghosting, and that's pretty common. Jay, how are you? How uh, frequently are you seeing ghosting coming up in, in your work? Uh, certainly with increasing frequency. I think Peter's analysis is uh, is an accurate one. And there are actually gradations of ghosting behavior. Uh, I think you introduced it with some uh, parallel to romantic relationships. There's a difference between someone who in the middle of a date decides to go to the restroom and disappears. Sure. And someone, yes. uh, and someone who simply uh, doesn't call or doesn't accept calls after the date. They're just kind of levels, I think, 
sake of uh, morality and decency of behavior, but for reasons that uh, Peter identified, including reciprocity, uh, there is a feeling that this is more okay because it's exactly what employers do. And employers use search firms and recruiting firms. And uh, prior to going back into uh, higher education, I was in that business. And those businesses just grind through potential applicants and make determinations and decisions that are in the best interest of uh, their clients and not necessarily of the applicants. And that message gets conveyed through. So if, if you think about basic learning theory, um, there's an understanding today as to where loyalties lie and, and where they don't. And it becomes more acceptable behavior simply because it's being done to them. And, I mean, there are solutions that make use of perhaps selfish motives, but uh, it, it will increase in frequency because there are, there are no consequences in a tight labor market. As long as there are more job openings, the likelihood getting caught in this is relatively small, although it does happen, and when it does happen, it's satisfying for employers when someone comes back to them and they tell the, the, the applicant, no, that's already been taken, and if you don't recall, you didn't call us back, or something to that effect. Uh, so I just want to follow up on Jay's point about uh, gradations here, because here's a little piece of evidence uh, on this. And the evidence is from this survey, and they ask both employers and candidates what they think is reasonable. And they said in the earliest stages of job search, what we might think of as um, the Amazon basket stage, you're filling out the application, 48% of candidates say they think it's okay to ghost, just just give up and walk away. Only 36% of employers think it's okay to ghost there. Yeah. When you get to the end stages, though, only 14% of candidates think that it was appropriate to ghost your uh, impossible employer. But, but uh, let me get the number here exactly right. 20% of employers thought that it was okay to ghost the candidate. So more employers think it's okay to ghost at the end of the process than do the candidates. So... Uh, you know, particularly for employers who think this is an employee thing, that's a pretty startling statistic because I think we'd all think it's worse at the end than at the beginning. But it's it's interesting because Peter, when you when you think about the process, and and obviously as you mentioned, it's a little bit different now that you have so much of the of the filling out of information, the the early part of the hiring process online. But when it truly was, you know, sending your resume in in the mail and and following up, I think there there has been traditionally a a concern by potential employees of how frequently do you follow up? Am I doing it too much? Right. Am I not doing it enough? We've kind of moved now into this digital version of this. Yes, I think that's right. And for the candidate, you know, one of the things you want to know if you don't hear anything back is, gee, did it even get through? Sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And the cost of giving somebody an electronic acknowledgement is nothing, you know, yeah. to just say, we got your application, bang, we're processing it, something like that, costs nothing. And yet it's still particularly, maybe it's a little more common now, but, you know, during the Great Recession, nobody bothered doing that. Sure. Jay, your thoughts? To, to, support, uh, to support Peter's comment, the follow-up by employees to employers 
can become annoying and obtrusive, and employ, uh, potential applicants may be cautioned not to do that. But the other way around, an employer almost can't be reassuring potential employees or recruits that they've accepted too often. So it, it's, not, it's not quite an equivalent situation. The, the applicant, in all probability, is more anxious about this or more willing to take other action if they aren't comfortable that this is going to work out well for them. So anything that increases the level of investment by a recruit or uh, once they're on the job, the notion of engagement, which kind of is replacing the concept of job satisfaction. Anything that does that, including a, a employer touching base with them and seeing how things are going and if there was any pre-training involved, how that went, that makes the recruit feel good about the employer and less likely to disappear without notice, and in fact, less likely to disappear at all. So there are things that can be done prophylactically uh, to minimize the disappointment that occurs, and especially the most egregious situation is when uh, a recruit or an applicant is accepted, goes through training, which is costly, and then decides, nah, this isn't for me, and rather than having the decency of discussing this or see if there's some modifications in the job that can be done, uh, simply does disappears or no longer responds. And I have seen that happen. And uh, there's, there's probably nothing worse from an employer point of view to make arrangements to accommodate someone within an organizational structure and then not to be able to count on that person the moment they're supposed to start. Jay, I I mean, not only do you have the issue with potential employees and and HR departments or the company itself, but I'm reading that this is also popping up within workplaces where you have employee-boss relations as well. And and I would find that amazing that you could have – kind of uh, a, a ghosting situation going on between boss and employee, especially when you're in the same office. I, I quite agree with you. I, I think it's, it's astounding that that is happening. And there you begin to get into real morality issues as to I can't believe that you think that this is okay, because typically once a personal relationship has been started, the expectation level is higher for the applicant or uh, perhaps the employee at that point. And then to, to hurt someone in that way uh, is just unconscionable. Peter? Oh, I think that's right. I think we can I think we can put this question behind us. This is just not a good thing to do for either side, right? Yeah. It's not a good thing for uh, employers to do. They do it kind of as a matter of policy, I think, because I think it's you know easier not to respond to all these applicants. Um, and for individual applicants or candidates, it's not a good thing, uh, particularly at the point where it becomes personal. You know, where you have some tie, some conversation with a human as opposed to the to the applicant tracking software. You know, it does seem to me an interesting question is whether you've got any obligation whatsoever to 
follow up with applicant tracking software, or yeah. is this just like Amazon, right? I mean, you've got something in your basket. You didn't uh, fill it out. Amazon's constantly pestering you to say, are you sure you didn't want that uh, shampoo? <laughs> yeah. um, and what if an employer's site keeps pestering you? You get a message. Do you have an obligation to follow up there? I, I don't think – it doesn't seem to me that you do. But at the point where it's personal, for sure, this is good behavior to do. It's the right thing to do. You know, an interesting question just – on this is, though, this sort of advice you hear from some of the recruiters that this will come back to bite you. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think so. I mean, here's why. There's about, on average now, about 200 applicants to get to a serious point that are considered by employers for every position, right? And the people who are looking at these, they don't actually start to look until you've whittled that, even that 200 down, sure. typically to a pretty small uh, set, and the odds that you apply, if you even if you apply back to the same company, that you're going to make it to that small set that gets looked by a human, and that you're going to get the same human, given how much turnover there is in these organizations, is is trivially small. Right. You know, so you shouldn't do it because it's the wrong thing to do. But the idea that you're going to pay a price for doing this is kind of a wish, wishful thinking on the part of the recruiters. And that the recruiter will remember, you know, I mean, how many yeah. thousand applicants do they see each day? <laughs> yeah. And they got a list there that they keep on their desk. If this guy, if Peter applies again, man, we're going to nail him. I don't but think I, so. I would think that there there is part of this, Jay, there's an element to it where uh, and and maybe not in that situation when you're having 200 500 whatever that that higher number of applications is but there there is a, i think something ingrained in people where they have a problem delivering a a set of bad news going back to somebody that even they may not even know very well and that's something that's ingrained within our 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 beings and and so you have that playing in with the fact that so much of, of of this process now is digital, and that's supposed to kind of take the emotional uh, emotional part out of it. Well, there's a way to use digital uh, to still be courteous about it. If basically this has been something that has taken place online, uh, there's still no excuse for not responding online, either by the potential employee or the employer. So the the fact that the human element has been removed, uh, I think that makes I think we all agree that that makes ghosting uh, more egregious. But it doesn't mean that it's not convenient to still at least convey an adverse message with the anonymity of being able to send an email. Um, not not the most ideal and polite way to do it, but people today are not handwriting uh, notes of regret, uh, and that's on both sides. So it, it's an unrealistic expectation that that would occur. But I think the, the key here, uh, as, as Peter mentioned, there are few adverse consequences to engaging in ghosting behavior. So depending on the degree of narcissism of that individual and, and how self-centered that person is, uh, there have to be other values in place to avoid playing the game in a way that uh, may well be reciprocal. And the, the only consequences that I can think of realistically is to the extent that you're dealing with a recruiting firm, and the recruiting firm is the one that suffers the consequences of your not showing up. The recruiting firm, whether it's executive search or basic staffing industry, they will remember you, even if the employers don't. 
Peter? Yeah, I think that that's right. And if you're, you know, when you're a small town and and you're applying to one of three companies in the small town, yeah. of course, this is this is going to matter a lot. Now, there is a, a situation this might be surprising where there are consequences for ghosting, and that is that employers sometimes, uh, and this is becoming actually a, a big concern, post ghost jobs. That is, they post jobs yeah. which really don't exist. Uh, and they're doing that. Some recruiters do this as a way to gather resumes. Uh, some employers who are just lazy don't take down the job ad after they filled it because they're trying to just see who might apply and might be yeah. useful. And in the online conversations, candidates identify who those companies are, and uh, they do tell each other, you know, don't that's, apply that's for a job. Yeah. You know, don't apply. For, don't bother with this job over here because these have been fake jobs before, right? So, hmm. you know, the reputational I- issue I think is actually a bigger concern for employers because it's pretty easy to remember the name of the employer. Yeah, particularly in these industries where people tend to stay, it's more difficult to, for anybody to remember the name of a particular candidate, right? And and the the practice to which Peter referred. Um, is considered unethical by most industry associations. In other words, yeah. uh, posting for positions that don't really exist just to get a an applicant flow into the organization. So uh, staffing industry analysts and other organizations that kind of set uh, ethical guidelines for their member uh, staffing companies uh, all know that this is an improper practice, yet it still does go on. Do you think, Jay, that there is an element of also of this that is playing out because, and I mentioned some of the, the data before, that we're seemingly in a, about a five-month run, I think, right now uh, with the reports that come out from the government of having more jobs than, quote-unquote, employees or, I should say, people looking for jobs right now? I, I think there's no question but that that's the environment that encourages that behavior and will it revert back to uh, better manners uh, possibly next year, uh, 2020, when recessions are being predicted again? Uh, it'll, it'll move in that direction inevitably as that ratio of job openings to candidates shifts. So, yeah, part of it is that the underlying lack of concern about the welfare of others is still problematic and and very individualistic in the sense that some people uh, will will never get it or care about consequences, while others will be more sensitive to that. I think the changing job market is more likely to influence the frequency with which candidates solicit other jobs or make changes rather than the behavior that they engage in when they've made a decision to take uh, another job. In other words, do they do it in a classy way or do they do it in a tacky way? Uh, Just to follow that a a little bit, I think the the reality of the labor market today is quite different than maybe we might often think, uh, and also why the unemployment rate doesn't matter that much. So right. the ratio of people who are actually looking for jobs, two jobs, is you know an interesting number historically, but uh, very few employers want to hire anybody who is unemployed. They're not trying to hire those folks. In fact, they're the kind of bottom of the list of who they want. And you may remember a little while ago there was actually a concern. 
because some employers refuse to even consider applicants from applications from people who are unemployed. Right. So the issue is that everybody wants to hire somebody who's always already working for somebody else. And in that context, uh, here's a stunning statistic that a big majority of the people last year who changed employers were not looking for a job. That means somebody huh. came and got them. These are what is known as passive uh, applicants. And passive applicants are people who, you know, are not necessarily even looking. Uh, and that really starts to change the dynamic a little here because – and also the moral question. So if uh, if uh, I come to Dan and say that I – hey, Dan, we got this job over here. Would you be interested in applying? Um, Dan's behavior in response to that is – might understandably be different than if Dan approached us and said, sure. "Hey, we got. I, mean, I, I really like I'd like to work for you guys. I'd like to apply. You got anything around?" And yeah. you know, if Dan initiates, it's a little different than if an employer or a recruiter comes to Dan and tries to get Dan to pursue it. Now, still, the right thing to do is to tell people, "I'm sorry, I'm not interested any longer in this. I don't want to pursue it." On the other hand, like if you're in the tech industry, you know, if you're working in Silicon Valley in a computer company, you're probably getting these requests daily, right? Sure, yeah. Uh, right. And then there's a question of, you know, how much follow-up should we expect people to do? And I think for sure you should expect the reasonable thing is to re respond once. Yeah. Uh, but when that recruiter comes back a couple weeks later um, and you're getting these every day – What's your responsibility there? And then it's a trickier question. Well, and Jay, I think as, as Peter laid out, I think the, the expectation in, in a place like Silicon Valley, it's it's spot on because we hear the stories of of employees being taken from one company and ending up in another uh, on a weekly basis at this point. Yeah, that's that's exactly correct. Even though these are highly compensated professionals, they still are a commodity in the tech industry. And as such, some of the uh, moral or ethical implications are uh, less pronounced for them. So, yeah, that becomes a pattern in practice. And uh, it, it's particularly problematic, although the, the industry understands that and and seems to be able to cope with that and does nothing to change it. In other words, they're not making a particular effort to engender engagement uh, with their employees or to, to get a level of loyalty because they've got so many of them and they're under time pressure, competitive time pressure to begin with. So uh, to the extent that treating employees properly means providing uh, uh, coffee and snacks and, in, in the case of a couple of those companies, beer for employees, that isn't the kind of thing that really gets loyalty to an immediate supervisor. But we know from the, the psychology of it, uh, my background in industrial psychology, we know that to the extent that an employee perceives their immediate supervisor in a favorable light, that's the image that they have of the entire company. And therefore, if the loyalty is to that individual, there's a less likelihood that someone is going to be stood up, so to speak, yeah. in terms of a disappearance. Yeah, I think Jay uh, put his finger exactly on what this is about. And I should say that I uh, wrote something in Barron's about this, this this week. And that is this notion that we've moved toward thinking about all oh, this as a commodity. And, you know, let's face it, the employers have most all the marbles. Yeah. And they drove this um, different direction, and that is treating hiring as kind of a commodity exercise 
Uh, you know, they don't actually spend very much time. Only 40 percent of U.S. employers try to figure out whether their practices even lead to good employees. Right. They're looking at time to hire, cost per hire. And they're thinking about this as a commodity. And not too surprising that the employees on the other side start thinking about this as a commodity as well. When the labor market tightens, the power does start to shift. And I think part of the reason this is so surprising to employers is we've gone through, you know, the 10 years of the worst labor market for job seekers, but the best labor market for employers yeah. and hirers. That You know, you didn't have to do anything, and people were just really grateful that you – I even consider their application. And so the power has changed, and that's changing the story. Does this also have a little bit of, a, of an impact on uh, the salaries that people will end up potentially getting because of th- this ghosting activity that, yeah. that companies may very well it, – it's, it's a play to be able to maybe, if you have two candidates, be able to get – Candidates that may be similar, but get one at a lower cost, a lower, lower so on, salary. On which side are you thinking would oh, for the business? For the business, you yeah. need to go to ghost people and just keep them on the hook. You mean? Yep, yep, yeah. No, and if I, you can yeah. get somebody for oh, the lower cost, for sure. And you know, the, well, yeah, it, wor- it yeah. works in both directions. Yeah. You yeah. you may be able to retain True. or salvage someone yeah. by kind of bribing them to stay, or you may be able to get someone at the lesser cost yeah. because yeah. other candidates are disappearing. Yeah. yeah, and if that's the case, then ghosting actually, uh, as an alternative, looks like a, a good thing. Sure, yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. To actually just break it off rather than just string candidates along yeah. or string employers along, right? Uh, that That is the most pernicious uh, approach here. And remember, it was Peter who said that ghosting might potentially be a good thing. Right, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly, yes. Jay, yeah. Jay, thanks very much for your time today. Greatly appreciate it. My great pleasure being with you both. Good discussion. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Peter. Great seeing you. Thanks Thank for you. coming in. Peter Capelli from here at the Wharton School and uh, also uh, Jay Finkelman uh, at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology based in Southern California. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.